0: Hi, I'm Trisha Bansi, CEO and co-founder of Queenly, and I'm interviewing with The Pageant Project.
1: hey everyone it's adrian with you from the pageant project and my very special guest for today is trisha bantique who is ceo of queenly trisha welcome to the show uh
0: thank you so much adrian uh this is really fun I'm glad to be here
1: uh can we start with whereabouts you are because i i i was reading through all the stuff about um queenly including the interviews or the press and there's so much to go oh. through there <laughs> I, I saw San Francisco in there somewhere. So are you based in San Francisco?
0: Yeah. So currently um, our Queenly HQ, which is right here, is in San Francisco. It's where I work.
1: Perfect. Okay. Um, so guys, I can see a bunch of you have have jumped on already. So if you have any questions for Trisha about Queenly or about anything else, um, her entrepreneurial journey or even how to find something on Queenly, let me know um put them in the comments and i'll pass them on so ava who is over here in australia trisha has said oh. hello happy friday and to give you an idea it's six thirty in the morning here so oh, hello is.
0: wow what a you're a morning bird aren't you
1: <laughs> well i have to be often i'm this is actually a bit later normally i'm on at six in the morning so this is a bit of, a little bit more um, Gotcha,
0: gotcha.
1: a little bit more I don't know how to pronounce, how to say it. (laughs) But Tricia, let's just get started with, I normally start interviews because obviously I'm interviewing pageant queens with their pageant journey. Mm -hmm. And my understanding is that you have a pageant journey of your own. So can you let the audience know how you got involved with the crazy world of pageantry to begin with?
0: Yeah, uh, my journey is definitely very um, unconventional, I would say, Um, but so... um, For me, personally, I come from a very low-income immigrant background, and so I've had to really start working and had to make money in order to survive and pay the bills at a very young age. And so uh, when I got accepted to UC Berkeley, which is an amazing school, I realized that the out-of-state tuition fee was uh, really a, a skyrocketing fee, if I may say. And um, I really wanted to fight for my spot because I worked my butt off in high school to get good grades, extracurriculars, and to be accepted at a number one public university was even an honor. And so um, I was independent at the age of 17, and that means like I had no parental support. Most of my family is mm-hmm. actually in the Philippines. And so I moved from Las Vegas to Berkeley, California, in order to go to college. My first week there, they were just like, oh, um, I think you probably have to drop out and go to community college because there's this huge discrepancy between your financial aid and also your out-of-state tuition fee. And I was left with less than two weeks to basically figure it out. Um, I took on a bunch of part-time jobs and did a lot of... uh, mobile phone research studies um, that I found on Craigslist, and just became very scrappy in that sense. And one of the opportunities that I found and that I researched was that pageant organizations are actually one of the biggest scholarship givers in the U.S. Um, I can't say for the rest of the world, but yeah, and I think this was like very shocking because to most people they don't see pageants as that, right? As something that is positive and um, academically beneficial. And so in 2013, I joined my very first pageant. Uh, It's called Miss Global. Um, Yeah, and that was their very first year, actually, of um, doing the pageant. And so it was in L.A. And I thought to myself, well you know, why not? I've never done this before. And I never thought I would be a pageant girl. Um, But uh, they were telling me that my fee was going to be sponsored. Um, For some reason, it was like Paul Mitchell that was sponsoring it. And I was like, okay, well, all I have to do is pay for my flight and find the gown. Um, And it's like a one week free vacation at the Hilton. And so I went there, uh, first day of orientation, Um, I was completely blown away by just like the caliber of women there. And this is me at 18 years old. Um, Meaning this is me, no patch experience. I didn't know how to do my makeup, didn't know how to walk anything. And I saw these women that were 24, 25 years old, more experienced. They had like a full glam face on. Uh, And I was like, Oh, my goodness what am i doing here like i don't think i belong here and i i just had um my makeup was a cheap eyeliner drugstore eyeliner and powder and lip gloss and that was it and my outfits were just um yeah they were just not great um i used i used my prom dress for my evening gown but i told myself you know what i'm already here and I'm just gonna be a sponge. This whole week I'm gonna be a sponge and I'm gonna learn from every single woman here. And my experience there pretty much broke every stereotype that I had about the pageant industry. Um, because I think like most people, I thought pageants were just like, you know, the whole Miss Congeniality movie or Toddler Sin yeah. Uh But the women that I met there were one of the most talented, intelligent, and capable women that I've ever met. And they were also kind-hearted and very passionate about their social causes that it inspired me so much to the point where you know even though i lost i mean i didn't really care i knew i was gonna lose but, yeah. <laughs> but i mean i made great friends um yeah and then i moved on um to my next pageant uh, and then the next one and then the next one um but my next pageant after that i actually ended up winning uh, which was great, uh, and then I kept going. I just, I just loved the the thrill, the experience, the friendships that I made, and how each year I got better. So that was my beginning of my pageant journey.
1: And genuine pageant girl, right there, um, <laughs> Trisha. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you have Filipino heritage. Is that correct?
0: Yes. Yeah, so I was actually uh, born in the Philippines. Um, my mom's side is Filipino, but my dad's side is like chinese blood but they were like raised in the philippines um and i proved it because i did 23and me so i'm like okay i'm part chinese (laughs) um but yeah
1: i just find it fascinating that you're from you have filipino heritage and you never considered really going into pageants because out of everyone in the world the filipinos are probably the most passionate about pageants
0: you know it's so funny because um when i was growing up um so i lived in the philippines up until the age of 10 and in the philippines i was um as a kid i was a very tomboyish rebellious mm-hmm. little girl um and so i always liked to play outside even though um i was raised by my grandparents they they always told me that oh you know stay inside because like you're going to get darker and you know like the whole um asian stereotypes of like light that yeah. light skin but as a kid i had really tan dark skin because i liked to play outside um but then it's like the whole culture of making fun of, of girls and women that had darker skin tones and making them feel less beautiful. And they would, they would um, I guess, other people that would visit us or whatever would say that. And my family would always say, you know, don't mind them. Like, you know, this is, you know, black is beautiful, this and that. And your, your skin tone is beautiful. And the example that they made was, I think it was Miss Universe Philippines, Oh my goodness. I think it's 90 something. It's okay. And her name's yeah. like Miriam Kimbao. I think it's ninety-nine. But okay. she um she looked like me. Um she had a darker skin tone, she was skinny and et cetera. And they would tell me, look at her, like she's considered a black beauty queen or something like that in like Mm-mm. Tagalog. Um and I never really considered it um, because I never saw myself as beautiful. I knew I liked school. I knew I was smart and I I liked, you know, pursuing ambitions when it comes to like career, but I never saw myself as a pageant girl growing up.
1: It's funny you mentioned that because I've interviewed a lot of girls who growing up were teased for their appearance. So uh, for example, girls who are very tall, or mm. who had red hair um and then for example yourself with you know wanting you know everyone telling you that you should have pale skin but you're naturally tanned mm. and then later on in life those very same things they were being teased for oh my goodness. turned out to be exactly what other people or other industries wanted. For example, being tall and standing out is is great for the modelling industry. And mm-hmm. then everyone in the pageant world is spending so much on fake tan. And I often joke because I tan very much as well. It's like I've never <laughs> needed fake tan. or you guys need all this fake tan. I mean, have you found this? Because I I know also looking through the Queenly site that um, inclusivity, I mean, coming from an, immig- an immigrant background, I can imagine this is important to you that inclusivity for what you guys are doing has to be a huge component and something Mm -hmm. that's very important to you as well.
0: It definitely is. And um, I want to point out that we also really care about like intersectionality when it comes to inclusivity because I think this is something that is largely ignored in the fashion industry where they think that, um, you know, let's say a big fashion brand is casting models for a photo shoot campaign and they think one black model, one latina model whatever it may be is enough and then and a sea of like 20 other like white models right Mm. um but they they forget to think about you know there's a whole demographic of plus-size women there's a whole demographic of lgbtq women of beautiful trans women um asian women um and this is something that i really want to focus on um as a matter of fact like um, I made it my goal to make sure that our first photo shoot campaign so that was like super low budget because we're a startup, uh, <laughs> I made sure that it was diverse, that we had an Asian model, that we had a trans model. Um, and these are things that I always want to keep in mind because um, if these big fashion brands are not going to do it, then who will, right?
1: Exactly. Um, well said. Uh, now, just before we dive into the startup component and the entrepreneurial part of it, let me just bring you up to date with a comment here. So, Ava, who I mentioned before over here in Australia, Queenly is amazing. Mm-hmm. The website is unreal. My mum and I actually spent ages on your website looking for a dress oh, yeah. for me. Best resale website and so many designers. So oh my you- Thank
0: you. Uh, that oh, that means a lot to me. Just because uh, you know, blood, sweat, and tears like building Queenly from the ground. Thank
1: you yeah, literally blood sweat and yeah. tears i was um i did want to try and jump on the app to have a play with it but it's not available in australia yet, oh, no, yet, trisha, no so.
0: one day well,
1: yeah no i was just like why can't i download it here mm-hmm. um but the website and i will bring it up just in case you guys don't know you're watching this on the replay you don't know what we're talking about so this is uh the website for queenly over here i'll just bring it up trisha and you should be able to see mm-hmm. it as well i'm at the bottom Was just looking at the investors uh, but if we go through to Queenly, and there's so many things I want to ask you, but this is up here. The uh, I guess importantly, Tricia, will this bring up the same results that are in the app? This will be off the same database yeah, addresses, so am I correct? Yeah,
0: same listing, same data.
1: Right. So, and this is one thing that I want to ask you because the sort of the AI or the algorithm behind it. To me, is one of the things. Well, maybe it's the big thing that it's queenly apart from other sort of stores where you put in "I want a dress." Whereas this one has. Now, I'm not a, a woman, so I don't know a lot about this, but okay. necklines and things like this. There's a bit of an algorithm behind it because your co-founder Kathy mm-hmm. uh, used to work um, at Pinterest, if I'm not mistaken, and, and has a lot of programming knowledge. So there is a sort of. I don't know if it's an AI, but there's the algorithm built into it. Can really help you find the perfect dress. And when Mm. I say perfect, it's matched to skin color, neckline, and all other bits and pieces that I'd never considered. Is that correct?
0: Yes, that's correct. Um, So my co-founder, Kathy, so she was a computer science major at UPenn, and she worked at Venmo and spent four years at Pinterest as a software engineer. Um, And so she really built the website, our iOS app, our Android app, from scratch like by herself and what was really important from her that she learned from pinterest because they use the same uh, sort of ai machine learning algorithms um, being able to tailor uh, results like search results exactly for the end user and this is something that we saw laps, um in many other fashion tech websites um, that even if you search something um, they're not exactly accurate like you would search MacDougall green dress or something and let's say well, why don't you know, we
1: um, kathy let's actually do this in real life so we put in MacDougall green dress and we'll see what it comes up with and then maybe you can give me some other search terms as well all right so well that's a lot of results there already bear in mind guys this is only in america at the moment
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: but that's what comes up for MacDougall green dress so Uh, what's something a bit more interesting, let's say, that we could put in that kind of shows off the the queenly algorithm?
0: Um, Let's see. Uh, So right now we are kind of specifying for there's like designer, color, uh, silhouette, um, and then we're working on different things like necklines, like let's say halter, um but this is definitely still a work in progress that we want to make sure, sure. the search accuracy uh will always improve over time uh, which is why we're hiring more engineers <laughs> um but yeah i mean these are things that uh we want to make sure we prioritize when it comes to engineering uh other websites i think what we've found was that they would have a lot of spammy results like they would have yeah. I don't know, like a picture of a cat or something, or um, I'm sure you're familiar with like, you know, online dress resale on other marketplaces are very spammy yeah. and there's a lot of scammers um, and there's no real way to guarantee like safety and security when it comes to it. Um, so for us being able to tailor it to a specific community of pageant women, of of women that wants to like help uplift one another with their own dress, um, is definitely very helpful. But uh, one exciting thing that I would like to share um, mm-hmm. is that what we're working on right now, what Kathy is working on, is the ability to have visual search. Um, so have you heard of Google reverse image search?
1: No, but I think I was reading about this yesterday. It's kind of like you, it, it bases it off photos. Is that is that yeah. what Yeah,
0: so you know how you put Mac Google Green Dress. Imagine if yeah. instead of typing, Let's say you find a dress on Instagram or Pinterest and you screenshot it and you upload it onto Queenly instead of typing it out. Because sometimes we mm-hmm. don't know what to type out. Like you we're exactly. like, not a woman. You don't know. I don't what know what
1: the terms are, exactly. so I don't know what to search for.
0: Right, yeah. So we're working on being able to have the technology to upload that dress and then match it with specific or similar listings on Queenly that look like the dress. Um, I think the most fun use case that we we tell investors is that, you know, when a girl is going to prom or some kind of formal event, uh, most of the time they try to look at celebrities like Beyonce at the Met Gala or Taylor Swift at the Grammys. And you look at red carpet outfits. But can you imagine if you're, you know, a girl in middle of nowhere, Ohio wants to look like uh, Beyonce, but she has nowhere to go and doesn't know how to search for it and doesn't have the budget for it. So being able to screenshot that and upload it on Queenly, and we'll match her with a dress that will make her look like Beyonce at her event, um, I think is going to be, like, life-changing.
1: That's that's insane. I, I mean, I have a computer science background, so I should understand maybe how that works. But doing it based off photos... Uh, that that that's next level how how far away roughly because i mean development cycles can be months and years when roughly would you be considering bringing that out to the public are we talking months years
0: months uh a couple of months um so the reason why it's a little bit delayed um is that we're in the process of uh filing a patent for it uh just because it's a very like unique and new technology when it comes to dresses and formal wear uh, that we m- want to make sure that uh, we kind of protect our technology in that sense, and so it's ready. Like the tech, the code is ready. We're just kind mm-hmm. of tailoring the accuracy of it, right? Um, and waiting for the patent pending uh, like filing.
1: Okay, so th- that's probably a good time to to jump off into the um, into the startup world. Uh, now, I've been itching to interview more pageantpreneurs, entrepreneurs. I call them people who have one foot in pageantry and the other, other foot that's in a entrepreneurship. Great term. Well, I might be able to pattern that one. Um, and I mean this with all with all due respect. Very often, when someone says they're an entrepreneur, it's they've started up an Instagram account, and if that's where you have to start, that's where you start. You guys, so, and I do want to bring this up, and this is actually the first page I had up. When I was looking at, I'd almost call you guys, it's similar to like Facebook back in the day, like it's a Silicon Valley tech startup. When I was looking at some of the people that you've had back you, and they, and even Kathy, having worked at Pinterest, and you have people backing you from Uber, um, and the I think it was a founder or co-founder of Venmo, it, it just, it blows my mind. I mean, this is genuine startup territory you guys are filing for a patent which is not the easiest thing in the world to do it's not the cheapest thing in the world to do so you've obviously raised a good amount of i I guess you would call it seed funding or venture capital Mm -hmm. um can you i guess first up before we go into that can you give um give us a story behind how you met kathy because obviously you Mm -hmm. two you you bring the pageant knowledge she brings all the programming knowledge which blows my mind. How did you meet Kathy in the first place?
0: So in uh, 2014, back and we were both still in college, we actually met at this one, at that time, small tech startup called InfoScout. And we were interns. Um, Yeah, so we were Uh interns in 2014. And that's how we met. Um, And then after the internship, she actually moved back to the East Coast, um, you know, to finish her degree at Penn and me at Berkeley. Um, and then I didn't know that she moved out here to start working at Pinterest. Um, so back in, I believe, 2018, this is when I started having the itch for, uh, for the need to build Queenly. And the mm. name wasn't Queenly back then. It, it was like no name. But, um, but I wanted to create a platform for women uh, to be able to safely and conveniently buy and sell dresses from each other. Um, initially, I wanted to start a Facebook group. And then I found out that there's already so many existing like Facebook groups for dress resale. Uh, but then I noticed that it was just really messy, not convenient, very manual, and um, it was just unsafe. Uh, there are so many scammers every single day, and mm. um, this really disheartened me. And so I wanted to build something, but I'm not an engineer. Um, at that time, I was still working at, I was at Facebook before I went to Uber, so I think I was still at Facebook. Um, and I had some tech knowledge, but I didn't have, like you said, programming knowledge. So the only female engineer that I knew was Kathy. And so after like almost four years, I was like, Hey, Kathy, how you been? Um, how are you? I I would love to catch up and tell you about something that I'm working on. So I went to her at Pinterest and Pinterest is great because they have the best snacks ever (laughs) out of all the tech companies. This is the thing about Silicon Valley uh, tech uh, industry is that people care about snacks. It's like a, such a funny thing. Um, but yeah, and I, I told her about it. And initially, she did not believe in it. She was like, you don't need an app for this. Like just start a Facebook group or a Shopify store or something. And simultaneously, she was also experiencing something um in her personal life, that my friendly advice to her was, hey, you should join a pageant. (laughs) So this is me telling your very stereotypical Silicon Valley engineer who was very nerdy, (laughs) did not wear makeup, did not dress up, to join a pageant, and she thought it was crazy. So I probably asked her to do it maybe eight times until she finally said yes, and I told her, I reassured her that, Hey, I'll coach you. I'll mentor you. I'll be there every step of the way, which I did. Um, so she joined her very first pageant um, and then she ended up winning a very uh, small title and she loved the experience afterwards. She made so many friends and improved her public speaking, um, her self self-esteem, confidence and everything. Uh, it was like a whole, you know, the whole pageant makeover thing. And uh, end of 2018, that's when she was like, okay, I I see, I see it. I see what you mean now uh, after being in the industry myself. So I am down to build Queenly with you. And so end of 2018, we started building nights and weekends because we still had a full-time job. Um, and we managed to launch in the App Store, I think January, um, and the website. So we didn't have Android until later. Um, that's, that's how we met and how we started.
1: So you, so, so you launched the, in the app store 2019, January.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, at that time, I think we launched with a private beta of like a couple of hundred of users, just so we're able to, if there's any, uh, bugs or crashes that we could like fix it right away.
1: How did the conversation go with Kathy? I don't know if there was one, maybe she just decided this herself, but working at Pinterest, I got to assume, at least in terms of tech startups, that's a pretty secure job. And that's not one you probably go, I'm going to leave that to to do my own startup. How did that conversation go? Because that takes a lot of guts to leave that job and to do your own startup.
0: Yeah. So my first intentions was actually not to even recruit her because I knew firsthand that I was like, I don't think I can afford her. Um, yeah. You know, for those that don't, you know, don't know the tech industry, engineers are very expensive. Sometimes their starting base salary out of college is like two hundred thousand dollars, and you know, I didn't have funding then. I didn't have anything. Um, but I think because I was able to help her personally as a friend, and through that, um, through hanging out, mentoring her, we started building a much deeper bond and connection. Um, and her seeing the problem itself firsthand, um, it motivated her. And uh, we both actually did not quit our full time jobs and become full time on Queenly until fall of 2019, uh, where we got encouraged by many other founder friends and mentors that we had. But I think both of us, um, she also shares a similar, um, I guess, uh, family background as me. Um, yeah. So it was like that whole, well, you know what? It's like we could always go back to a corporate desk job. Like, yeah. You know, we could always apply. Yeah. There's always going to be a job. might be hard, but, like, there's always going to be a job out there. And right now, we're, you know, we don't have kids, we don't have a mortgage, Um, there's not a lot for us to risk. And if we're ever going to do anything that is so risky, and so um, nerve wracking as starting your own company, uh, it would be now. And also for her, she already spent four years at Pinterest. And as a, I guess, like as an engineer, She wanted more. She wanted to build more and she felt limited, like she felt bored and limited at Pinterest, even though it was a a comfy job that paid a lot. Um, So that's what she was looking for in terms of that, like the opportunity to build something big and build something that will impact so many people.
1: Yeah, I, I understand that itch very well. I think it's an entrepreneurial sort of trait that once you're settled and everything has kind of been done already and you're just maybe tweaking a few things, you get that itch to start something new. So Queenly obviously was something completely different. So I can certainly understand why that would have been attractive. I didn't realize that you guys had only like launched, um, well, we only started Queenly full-time in the fall of 2019. So you guys have only been operational less than two years and i gotta say in the middle of that you had something called corona um, <laughs> i believe you would have heard of that which when you're doing something that sells pageant dresses and oh, there ain't no do. pageants that's perfect timing for, uh, for you timing, so can yeah. you walk us through i don't know what 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 has it been like the last two years and you've had a global pandemic in the middle of it and yet here you are still standing what has the journey been like
0: um not the easiest but um, we definitely weathered one of the biggest storms any businesses could ever experience. So we quit our full time jobs, dedicated ourselves 100 um, percent to Queenly Fall 2019. And that's when we were encouraged by our friends who previously started other uh, startup companies before mm-hmm. to fundraise. So the biggest thing about the startup industry is fundraising. Um, as a CEO, as a founder, that's something that you have to learn. Um, it's different than a if you wanted to start a small business, like a small coffee shop or small boutique store, which is an LLC. For us, we're a corporation because the whole um, idea of a startup is that you're going to be a unicorn, like a $1 billion company, like Facebook, Airbnb, Uber. Um, And so you have to rely on outside investment money in order to grow. Um, So we were, we started fundraising October, November, December, which is the worst time to fundraise is December because all of the investors are on vacation somewhere in the Maldives or Tahiti. (laughs) Like it's just, yeah. (laughs) So that was just not great. No one was responding to me. Uh, We finally close our, it's called a pre-seed round. Uh, in February of 2020. Um, And that was $500,000 to start off with in order to help us grow, like scale our marketing, and hire some people. And then March hit the whole, hey, global pandemic. So here I am, my first time fundraising, telling all these investors that, hey, give me money, and I'm going to grow your money. I'm going to grow this business. And then, boom, no events. Definitely March and April was a huge toll on us um, and not just the business, but as a founder, um, it was a huge mental and emotional toll on us. Yeah. And I definitely had some kind of depression then because I just, I felt so um, hopeless because this is this was something that I couldn't control. Everything else within my business, I had control over. Right. Mm. But this one, everyone was suffering. Um, how can I say anything? How can I complain when every single other business out there is suffering and dying? Um, I think after this bump that we had, we were like, okay, we got to shake it off and see what we can do. One, we can't push demand right now because it's not going to happen and it's tone deaf. So let's focus on acquiring the largest supply of formal wear that anyone has ever seen. So mm-hmm. we did a lot of seller initiative ads, marketing, um, because a lot more women uh, were working from home, and they had more time to clean out their closets and you know post their listings up, so that's one great thing. And then what we actually did was we launched this thing called Queenly Partners. Now Queenly Partners um, is basically enabling uh, small business owners such as uh, designers and boutique store owners that sell prom dresses, pageant dresses, quinceañera dresses to upload their offline inventory onto Queenly. Now for the longest time, the formal wear industry has been very traditional and majority of it just offline in brick and mortars. And so, you know, uh, I actually tried to reach out before COVID, but everyone was like, no, 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 we don't sell online. We're strictly brick and mortar. Like every single one of me, uh, of them told me that. And I was just like, um, okay, but we're not charging anything. Like we're trying to help you. Uh, but it didn't quite hit them that the need to go online was more urgent than ever before until COVID hit. So once I started reaching out, um, our first partner was actually Vienna Prom, um, he's amazing uh, for giving us a chance and so it was basically a way for us to now have brand new inventory direct from the warehouse direct from all these boutique stores to provide more options for our users our buyers and so that's what we did Um, now we've exceeded the formal dress inventory of macy's rent the runway nordstrom um because we we opened it up right we're like hey all the women that have dresses in the closets, upload it, sell it. And all the boutique stores, upload it, sell it onto Queenly because it's like everything here is formal wear. Um, yeah, so that's that. And then slowly but surely, it started picking up where people still had virtual proms, uh, virtual pageants, and even like small get togethers to do their proms. Or um, And what we saw last year was also the rise of content creation through TikTok, Instagram. And we saw that a lot more uh, women, specifically Gen Zers, um, were buying dresses to glam up at home to create TikTok videos. So because of a, a lot of combination of all these things, we still managed to uh, survive and grow. Um, and, and, and yeah, like, I guess, weather the COVID storm.
1: That's amazing. And I love the the way that you pivoted to look for supply rather than demand, because as you said, it would have been tone deaf. And I absolutely agree. When people are dying, you don't want to be telling them they should hire a dress. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the supply, the supply is so important, because if you think of something like Uber or Uber mm-hmm. Eats, the reason it works is because when you ask for the service, it's immediately available. And i got to imagine that for you guys, it's the same thing. If I go onto Queenly and look for a blue Giovanni dress and I put it in and there are no results or the results are very poor or scammy, as you said before, then I may never use your app again. I may never give you guys a second chance. So securing that supply must have been absolutely critical for you and the vision of what Queenly is going to be.
0: Yes, definitely. Um, I think it was the same for even Airbnb because – why would you use their products and if you're like searching different, you know, um, destination, travel destinations in the world? And you come up with one result. Um, I think supply and the options um, is definitely very crucial.
1: And I just want to quickly touch on, on the mental health because I'm cognizant of your time. Mental health as an entrepreneur, as a Silicon startup founder, I mean, it boggles my mind because you are in a position where everyone is relying on you. So (laughs) if you lose it, everyone else is going, oh my God, abandoned ship sort of thing. So how did you manage to get through that time when you said you were depressed and it was just only about a year ago? What was that like trying to make it through? Did you have to make it through alone? Were there certain key people that you could rely on? What was that like?
0: Um, It was definitely very, very difficult. Um, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. And um, in the beginning, I did think about that i'm like i'm a ceo like i can't show weaknesses because then my co-founder my team will will like lose motivation um and i have to fake it till i make it and it's like you know but i started to realize that um if i'm you know that erodes my own mental health and having to put up this fake front um of i'm fine i'm great i'm confident etc uh is just Kind of depleting me and if i'm depleted how can i give it my 100 percent for the business and what actually me and kathy um have established as a co-founder relationship is that we want to be uh different than what is i guess stereotypical supposed to be like um we want to be very vulnerable we wanted to be very open and communicative with each other because um Yeah, I mean, we're in this together. It's almost like a marriage, right, for us together to be on this. And I think that so many leaders out there um, should, uh, I guess, adapt to being like this um, because there are so many leaders that fall into depression. There are so many leaders that go, like, I don't know, suicide or get burnt out or something because they think that they have to carry the burden by themselves. And this is something that I'm still constantly learning because I've been so independent for so long that I'm not used to asking for help. But um, I think it's just truly important that this day and age that we lead with vulnerability and transparency and um, that we prioritize um, your your company's, like your team's mental and emotional health.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially after 2020. Uh, Trisha, the reason I've been so keen to interview entrepreneurs and pageant um, pageant participants is I think there's a lot of crossover. So <laughs> just for my own point of view, because a lot of people get very nervous about pageant interview, and a lot of queens have reached out to me. They don't know how to f- raise funds or raise funny um, funds oh. for their advocacy for their platform. Okay, <laughs> now just coming from your perspective, where you've raised seed funding from some incredibly big names such as uber and venmo and um you so in, you, you've talked to them you've interviewed with them and obviously you've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars not not for an advocacy but it's still raising money so in terms of if you were to go into another pageant would you find the interview section or the fundraising section at all difficult and if not like what sort of advice would you have
0: Definitely a lot less difficult than in the beginning. Um, interviews before were uh, difficult because, to be honest, because I didn't fully know myself yet. Um, I don't really necessarily think that it's solely just confidence, but I think the clarity of knowing who you are, your purpose, your passion, where you want to go, um, just like being so confident in yourself and what you've done for yourself. Um, helps a lot. Um, before, when I didn't know what the heck I was doing, I was in college. I was actually a political science major, so I thought I was going to work for the UN and yeah. all these things. I you had
1: the degree, haven't you?
0: Yeah. Um, and so answering pageant questions were almost like futile because um, they're you know they're asking me where do you see yourself in five years or like what do you want to do with this, and I was giving like i wouldn't say fake answers but they're like empty answers right and i think most pageant girls think that you just have to give like the most polished answer and that's great um but i think right now it's so so important to have the the kind of like genuine real answer that comes from the heart and i know that sounds really Mm. cliche but because if you know yourself and what you're doing what you set out to do uh where you're heading these answers are a piece of cake. You're just like, okay, I know, I know, mm. I know who I am. Like, I know what to do. Yeah. Um, so that's how it's improved. Uh, fundraising, that's a whole different, I would say that's a different <laughs> ball game right there. Um, it, that was uh, really hard for me in the beginning because I have this very complicated relationship with money, I would say. Um, you know, I grew up with a mom who had this very severe gambling addiction and so for me i never wanted to borrow money from anyone i never wanted to take out loans because i was so traumatized by that and when i joined pageants they're like look for sponsors ask for money and i'm just like i don't know i don't want to Mm -hmm. um and so yeah that was hard and there were moments where i approached the pageant organizer organizer myself and i'm like hey i can't do it (laughs) and so there were a couple of times where they're like okay like we'll wave it for you or something. But I was just very genuine with them saying like, this is why and I can't do it. Like, um, And most of them, they say like, ask your friends and family, but I don't have a lot of, I don't have a big family like most people. So mm-hmm. that's why. Uh, fundraising for a startup, that is definitely, I would say, a hundred times more brutal. Um, just because, yeah, yeah it's, um, most investors I talk to and that anyone will ever talk to Are going to be predominantly male investors who you know for my business know nothing about pageants know nothing about dresses about women's fashions and so they already have this certain like biases like gender bias and like whatever stereotypical bias against what you're building and your own capability and i received so many no's um And so many doors shut in my face. And in the beginning, I really took it to heart because Queenly is my baby. Like it's, I'm so passionate about it. And every single investor telling me that it's not going to work, like telling me that this market is too small, is too niche to, yeah, that it's just not worth investing in. Uh, But then uh, my mindset changed when I stopped thinking about it as like, I'm, begging them for money or ask asking them for money but instead I saw it as exactly what it was where it's a transaction that they are going to invest in me because of my potential to make this company a billion dollar business one day um, and that I'm I'm doing them a favor. (laughs) So I know that sounds very like cocky but in in a way that helped me gain more confidence at the negotiating table with VCs and investors, because I'm like, it's true. These VCs and investors have never started a company before. They don't know what it's like to be a founder. They don't know what it's like to do all of these, like, you know, hands-on work that I'm doing because they're just on the finance side. Um, And so they actually need founders like me, like founders like Mark Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates Mm -hmm. Um, to build a company for them that they will never be able to build, in order for them to to expand their money, to grow their money, yeah. and how so applying that onto pageants, I would say um, it's not exactly the same because you want these businesses to sponsor you um, because they they want to genuinely support you as a young woman, yeah. a thriving, yeah. right? Um, but i guess in a sense you can also play it into like the business angle where let's say it's like a local accessory shop right in kansas and i'm trying to compete for miss kansas usa and i have to pitch the possibilities of their business expanding and me bringing more marketing bringing more revenue exactly. for them, exposure yeah um in order for them to invest in me because i'm like hey um you only have to give me what like or whatever it may be, but I may be able to bring you, you know, customers that will give you $1,000, right? So like thinking about that in that sense might help uh, a lot of women get over that. um, I guess that fear of uh, fundraising for sponsors.
1: Well, I think it's really interesting. You mentioned that your mindset shifted from this idea that you were begging for money and more to value add for them, like an opportunity for them, because a lot of the girls that I work with, they do have that mindset of, oh, I'm begging for money. But I keep telling them, well, you have to tell them what value you're going to add to their business, because then they're much more likely to jump on board rather than just going around saying, please give me money, please give me money, please give me money (laughs) for no reason. Um, You you mentioned also, uh, can we just talk about rejection? Because this is another massive thing, not just for women, it's for men as well, but women in the pageant industry, young women. Um, And let's say they go to get sponsorship, they get rejected five times, 10 times, let's say they don't win their pageant. Can you just give me some thoughts on rejection? Because going into the entrepreneurial world into Silicon Valley with these people who are pitched a billion times a day and probably say no to ninety nine point nine 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 percent. That
0: sounds about right.
1: How? <laughs> well, no, and that's not even exaggeration. I mean, with all due respect, yeah. those people—they get pitched so often with things that probably just would never work—they're going to be brutal. You think some people watching will think pageant judges can be brutal? I don't think that's going to be anything compared to what you face. So, can you just give me? give us some ideas on rejection and how your attitude to rejection in inverted commas has changed over the last two, three years.
0: Yeah. So uh, I think part of it, um, I actually drew from my pageant experience where um, I always saw losing a pageant as a learning opportunity. Um, of course I was like uh, heartbroken. It still hurts, but I, I, Would always try to remind myself to shake it off because it's the whole concept of different different night different judges different girl different outcome right and these are um external factors that we can't control we can control how we present ourselves to the best possible way but at the end of the day we're presenting to human beings with human emotions and human biases and that's something that there's no formula, there's no code, there's no equation, right? You can't figure it out. Um, and so when I first started fundraising and pitching to all of these like big VC funds who have literally hundreds of millions of dollars um, and that have invested in big companies like Facebook, Uber, and uh, Pinterest, um, it was definitely very intimidating and um the difference was striking when I first started pitching to like how I pitch now, because before I did feel the whole I'm begging for money. Um, I don't know if I can do this. I've never started a business before. And it's almost as if every sentence you could hear that that question mark at the end of my, you know, my well, a question
1: <laughs> talking in yeah, Australia, I- where every sentence you end going up because you're not <laughs> sure of yourself.
0: Yeah yeah exactly that. Um I can confidently say that I think I've pitched to at least over 100 investors since since fundraising. And it was definitely uh oh it's so time consuming and so exhausting because um when we actually were raising our seed round from I believe it was March to May uh, of this year. Um I was trying to raise 1.5 million. And, um, yeah, I, I, I stacked it up literally from 9am to 5pm. It was like back to back 30 minutes or 45 minutes investor calls and me pitching the same thing. Hi, I'm Trisha, CEO of Quinley, blah, 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 largest marketplace. Give me money. Um, and it was no, no, no. Right. Um, and, oh, there were uh, a lot of times where I cried and had, you know, lots of glasses of wine and a bunch of stuff. Um, But then I thought about the whole pageant mindset where it's like different judge, different night, different outcome. And I'm just like different VC, different investors.
1: Exactly.
0: So I'm like, there are a lot of investors, um, especially in Silicon Valley. And because we're experiencing this whole economic tech boom, um, there's a lot more money, like literally. Billions of dollars flowing through Silicon Valley. And I see on news articles and social media that so many other founders were getting funded um, with less traction than us and less uh it's called founder market fit, where it's like there yeah. are yeah, like, I don't know, white male founders that are trying to tackle like plus size woman's fashion or even uh, there was this one ridiculous one, which I am so infuriated about was it was two or three white male founders who started a woman's birth control startup with no medical experience, nothing. And they still managed to raise like tens of millions of dollars, right? So I'm like, what the heck? Like I live and breathe my company and we actually have tens of thousands of users we have revenue we have everything yeah um so let me take that into account like this investor might not see it but the next one might um and the thing is it's just a numbers game like sales pitching fundraising is sales um and it's a numbers game so um it's almost like quantity over quality thing And so I was like, there is an investor out there that will see our vision, that will recognize our hard work, and that will match what we're looking for. And they will say yes. And so I kept ingraining that in me um, because rejection is such a tough pill to swallow. Um, But for me to just remind myself, it takes a lot of self-awareness and self-motivation, which is hard. Um, It's not easy. But once you get there, to be able to motivate yourself to like, hey, pick yourself back up. Like, you know what? Like there's someone out there that's going to believe in you. Like there's someone out there. And I did. and And I found them. And to this date, we ended up raising over $3 million, which is more money than I could ever imagine before. Like I've never had, you know, I remember seeing the money go into our company bank account. And I was like, I've never seen this many zeros. My bank account before i've always been broke (laughs) so that was um that was incredible and i'm just very proud that we were able to do that not just for ourselves but for the whole female founder community so fun fact as of 2020 um only i think 2.3 percent of venture capital funding went to female founders meaning 97 percent went to male founders and this is just such that a is
1: very lopsided,
0: very disappointing number. Um, it actually decreased from 2019 to 2020. 2019, it was 2.8%. Um, right. So this was so sad for me to hear because I'm like, there's so many capable female entrepreneurs out there that are going bankrupt, closing their businesses because they mm-hmm. can't fundraise. Because investors won't give them money, and the numbers don't lie, right?
1: Yeah, yeah that that's look, Trisha. I'm cognizant of your time. We've um, mm-hmm. only got three minutes left, so I mean, I could. There are so many other questions and <laughs> conversations I want to have with you, but I want to be respectful of your time. So, um, thank you so much for coming on um, and telling us a little bit of your story. And I really hope a lot of people watching this. Can take some inspiration, not just for the pageant world, but also for becoming female founders themselves, even if it's not a giant tech startup, just a small business in general, because I I think the future, I mean, they say the future is female. I think the (laughs) the future is also going to be very entrepreneurial. I mean, we saw that through 2020 so many of the big companies really struggled to pivot because they're too big. And a lot of other companies actually did very well during 2020. Mm-hmm. For example, Amazon, Amazon's not exactly a small business.
0: Uh, yeah, not uh, anymore.
1: <laughs> no, no, but you know, he, he started small as well. So look, thank mm-hmm. you so much for coming on, Tricia.
0: Oh, thank you. Uh, it was definitely a fun conversation. Uh, I love being able to share my experience in order to help other people and I'm always an open book to anyone because I know what it's like to to start out and people closing their doors on you. And I'm always, always open to everyone, especially female um, entrepreneurs that are female pageant girls. Anyone?
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, so we'll leave it there. Trisha. I'll keep you on the line for just a second whilst I hang up with the audience. So don't go anywhere. Thank you to everyone for watching, whether it's live or on the replay. Um, go follow on Instagram at QueenlyApp. And if you're in the US, then definitely go and download it and check it out. Yes. And we will speak to you next time. Thanks for watching. Just a reminder to you entrepreneurial types to come and join us at our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the pageant boss. I'll see you inside and see you in the next episode i a